for some reason in business, people think you, you just get to go show up in business and make a bunch of money. No, you got to put the seeds out there. You got to get those relationships. You got to add value. You got to give. You got to share. You got to help. You got to educate people. And by doing that, you create that brand footprint. You create that brand awareness. You create that brand connection. And then once you've done that, now you get to harvest. Now you get to start taking some chips off the table. You ready? Oh, I'm ready, player. All right, then. Sweet Talk episode 140. Are we on the Sweet Talk? What it sounds like to be the best. This is a Black Wealth Podcast. Build wealth, invest, own, and close the wealth gap. It's time to break down these financial concepts with your host, Mr. Todd Meganet himself, Charles Oglesby, and Raphael Husband. Welcome, y'all, to another episode of the Sweet Talk Podcast. Charles Oglesby, Todd Meganet, here with Raphael, Work Money Life. The podcast king. Yep, yep, yep. Some we are here. Y'all see the dashiki? <laughs> <laughs> what up? What up? What up? What up? What up? Welcome to Tweet Talk, where we dissect these financial tweets and talk about building black wealth. We are here. We are back. My brother Charles is back from vacation. I was oh yeah, now. we haven't recorded since I was on vacation, huh? Nah, man. How was Curacao? It was amazing. We haven't recorded in a while. It's been too long. Um, Curacao was amazing. It was a really cool experience to do something that's all inclusive. Um, you've been to an all inclusive resort? Nah, it's amazing, huh? Oh, I didn't. I, I, thought you said, I was looking at. The, I was looking at the other screen. <laughs> I thought I saw you shake your head, nod your head. Anyway, um, so we um, before our son was born, we went to Cabo and we didn't go all inclusive, and it was cool. We had a great time. Like honestly, up until our most recent trip, that was my favorite trip. I was like, man, this was amazing. Great weather, great food, great ambiance, great activities. And then we stepped it up a notch and we're like, you know, we're going all inclusive this time. And so we went, uh, flew first class and just was just eating the whole time. So you fly first class and I didn't even know that they had a flagship lounge. So American Express has two different types of lounge. So we always get in here. We always talk about the Delta lounge or the American Express lounge. Well, of course, Amer- uh, American Airlines has their own lounge. It's called the Admiral's lounge. But. There's levels to this stuff. So you find first class in American, you're in the first class American Airlines lounge, which is the flagship lounge is what they call it. So in that lounge, if you're into that kind of thing, they just have alcohol out. Like, you know how when you go to like a regular um, place, they have a bar, an open bar. You can drink whatever you want. They do Mm -hmm. encourage you to tip. You can drink whatever you want unless you order premium stuff. Premium stuff actually costs money inside of the standard lounges in there. They literally just had premium bottles up there. You just walk up and drink whatever you want, whatever you want, when you want, however you want to do it. I didn't drink anything there, um, but it's an option. They also had better food. They had all the drinks you could want. You had to ask for anything. They just had a cabinet full of club soda, orange juice. It was just take whatever you want. Take whatever you want. They had jelly bean. It was amazing. And so we were eating in the lounge. And then when you fly first class these days, they actually feed you a meal. So we ate in the lounge, got on the plane, ate in the plane. And this is my first time ever riding in a plane like this, but this had the lay flat seats. 
So we were flying at like 11 o'clock and they had to lay flat business class seats. And so we were sitting there um, laying all the way back, just sleep, knocked out. And they kept coming mm. by, bring us food, bring us different things to drink. Um, they get they gave you this nice pillow, this nice blanket. And so we land in Miami and we had a little bit of a layover there. And so we um, went to the flagship lounge there as well, had breakfast, got back on the plane. And then we got to um, to the resort, got to the resort, walked into the resort. And they were like, oh, well, the restaurants op- aren't open just yet. For lunchtime, we have food trucks out there. And so they had three different food trucks. One was kind of doing like hibachi stuff. One was doing like American food, like burgers, chili cheese dogs, fries. And the mm-hmm. other one was doing like, I think something else. I, I It was like Asian food or something. I wasn't really sure what it was. Um, so we ate there, went back to the room, kind of just chilled, relaxed, walked around a little bit. And then we went to um we actually ordered room service because we were under the impression that for all the restaurants you have to actually have reservations when really it's only two of the restaurants and so that now we ordered room service and it was i it wasn't the best food honestly next day we woke up and we took a tour so we took a tour of the whole city it was an open air bus tour so it's kind of cool to wake up early and just become educated about this new country that you're in so while we were there some of the interesting facts that i learned is curacao actually was it's the history is just like america the only thing they don't have that america has was like post-slavery jim crow laws that i'm aware of because Mm -hmm. what happened is european settlers landed in curacao and they needed people to do the work and there's indians there and so they tried to have the indians do the work indians like now we ain't doing the work and they left the island and so then what they tried to do is have other Europeans work for them. They're like, oh, y'all, y'all work for us. And they couldn't do it. And so then they had to go get some African slaves. So they went to Africa. They imported some slaves, like a lot of slaves. Like they actually showed us where they used to auction off the slaves. And then as you're driving around, you see the different plantations and plantation homes. And the biggest resource that they were mining there was salt. And so they would manufacture salt and they would have their slaves manufacture salt. And they work crazy hours. Now, what's interesting about this is the entire island is populated by, by black folks, black folks who look just like you and me. You would never know they weren't American black folks if you didn't hear them talk. They look just like us, which I think speaks to how pervasive black American culture is internationally because they look like that because that's what they see. And so you see a lot of dudes with fresh cuts, tapers, lineups. You see girls <laughs> with weaves. I'm telling you, they look just like American black folks. And so... Um, saw that and uh, we went to um, the distillery because if you ever heard of the blue carousel liqueur, that's where it comes from is curacao, which is similar to the water. So did that, came home, and then I think we had a reservation. To, we were supposed to have a reservation for like this dinner, uh, a, a beach dinner. That day was actually my wife's birthday. And so... Um, but the lady ended up jacking it up for us and couldn't do it. And so I, I think we might end up going to the steakhouse that night. And the steakhouse was all right. But what's cool about going to this all-inclusive resort is they have a bunch of restaurants, like regular sit-down restaurants like you would go to if you're at home. But you walk in there and you can order whatever you want. No prices on the menu. Multiple entrees, multiple appetizers, multiple whatever you want. 
whatever you want is yours at these places and it's all high quality stuff so it's not like some like vegas buffet food where it's like subpar it's like nah this is quality stuff so we ate there i think we kind of hung out what was interesting is it was a lot of like older people there so it wasn't really too much going on at nighttime like a lot of it was like mm. at 10 o'clock it kind of shut down like it wasn't no like after hours everybody up to like two o'clock three o'clock turned up running around screaming which is kind of what we were looking for. We were expecting like some sort of nightlife. It wasn't any nightlife really. If anything, they had like a little like band inside of the lobby playing. Um, and so we did that, went to sleep. Next day, woke up, played golf. So I had a really early tea time for the golf. That was fun. My wife actually played with me. Um, it was a really cool course. Um, I did a golf course review, which you can find on my TikTok. And uh, but it was hot. So after that came back we relaxed and then we had the the beach dinner because we rescheduled it for the next day so that was really nice all the food was amazing customer service was amazing throughout that and then after that we went back to the room and i think we might have like chilled and walked around to trying to kind of see what was going on out there see if there's any more turnups the third day we did a boat cruise or mm -hmm. it's kind of like technically the fourth day so the fourth day we did a boat cruise and that was like an all day event. So you wake up, get on the boat, you cruise around, you go to this little island called Little Carousel or they call it Claim Carousel, hung out there all day and uh, took the boat back in. And then we said, we're going to eat everywhere. Uh, my goal is to eat everywhere. So we went, we wanted to try everything <laughs> on, the, on the resort. So we went to this little pastry place. It was a cafe pastry place and they had like cheese and wine and stuff like that. We ate there. Then we had a, a reservation at the Latin space. But before that, we went to the Italian place. So we had dinner at the Italian place. And then after that, we had another dinner at the Latin place. We were just wilding. Um, that next day, we woke up. We um, had breakfast and just kind of moseyed on to the airport. So overall, amazing experience. Just cool to let let loose. Overall, probably outside of the golf, the golf was very expensive. But outside of the golf, I probably spent 200 bucks. What? I spent no money. Yeah. Because, I mean, you don't have to worry about anything anything you're eating or drinking. Hmm. Now, I'm talking gotcha. about, like, spent, the trip cost more than 200 bucks. But, like, while right, I was right, there, right. while I was there, I didn't have to spend any money because I'm not worried about anything else, which is cool. So, overall, it was a win. Uh, looking forward to the next one. We already booked it. We're going to hmm. Jamaica. I was gonna say, whose yeah. idea was it for, to go to Curacao? What was that again? Oh, hers. I never even heard of Curacao. But she <laughs> I heard feel like most. I feel like most Americans probably haven't. Yeah, most That's people haven't. That's cool, man. Cool, cool. Good trip. A lot of black history down there, though. They had like all these different statues of like slave monuments. So it was like mm -hmm. a hand with like a broken chain inside of it, and they had like four or five of them throughout the island, just symbolizing like the end of slavery, but. There wasn't a lot of I, I would what's, what was interesting is there's a lot of Jewish wealth out there. So like they have a lot of mansions, but they were all like owned by Jews. And so I would say there's still a little bit of black. I, I would say there's still black poverty out there. Like black poverty seems to kind of be like the theme going around the world. Um, I was just surprised to see the Jews own slaves there. Like they have plantations and we don't talk about that because a lot of times people think that Jews are mm -hmm. the friends of black folks a lot of times because they didn't own slaves in America. But that doesn't mean they didn't own slaves globally. So, yeah, we back. We back. We're back. That's cool, man. Um, I said, but now we're back. Ready to go, 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 go.
So you had a tweet when you said, maybe going to start this off. Knowledge of finance really is a hack. Yeah, the reason why I tweeted that is because a few things. The first thing was now that I'm really, really close to being done with this house, like damn near done, putting in the carpet this week, putting in electrical fixtures, putting in the plumbing fixtures, installing the cabinets is done. Um, There's a lot of things I can do with this thing. There's a lot of things I can do with it. And so I can refinance it. I can just hold it as is and not even have to worry about refinancing it. I can leverage it and get a HELOC on it. I can um, I sell it if I decide to sell it, which I'm not sure if I want to sell it. Kind of like the idea of holding real estate as opposed to selling real estate, especially if it's in a good area where I'll get good tenants and not ghetto tenants, um, which is actually a really good idea. Um, but like just knowing how to make things move gives you so much of an advantage. And I, I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking of the specific example that I had in mind when I tweeted that. But one of those was the house. And knowing that, let's say, for example, the market turns and I'm not able to sell the house for what I wanted to sell it for. Well, I can always put tenants in there and hold it until it appreciates in value. So it's like, I also don't want to lose the potential upside because a lot of times what happens when people flip properties as they flip it and they go back two, three years later, like, dang, that house is worth how much more now? And so I didn't want to be that guy. But I'll just say that just like knowledge of money, how to move it, how to maneuver it, how to leverage it gives you a huge advantage. Hey, hey. That's, that's funny. Um. Let me ask you, let me see what your opinion of this is. Um, so there was a guy I met when I went to lunch with uh, Erica Williams a couple of weeks ago, friend of hers, who also had turned out to be a former guest on your other podcast. Um, so he invited me last week to a networking event, real estate networking event. I'm like, uh, I don't know if that's my kind of thing, but I'll, I'll show up anyway. I went there. And he introduced me to this guy. His company, he said they used to work some something that they were trading on Wall Street. But they were transitioning to tokenizing real estate. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, why would you tokenize it? Meaning selling it through the blockchain instead of just doing like a crowdfund or a syndication to sell shares or something like that and he was like uh easy use like either transferring ownership is easier through the blockchain instead of then through a, a crowdfund or something like that i was like oh, okay i could see that paperwork takes a while it's hard to sell shares on the open market but you ever heard of anything like that kind of sort of um I'm not super educated in the space, though, to really speak on it, but it seems like an intelligent way to use cryptocurrency because now it's backed by an asset as opposed to backed by an idea that doesn't have any true value. So I think that crypto, for what it's worth, there's opportunity there, especially in the blockchain, because the transparency that comes through the blockchain 
Um, I'll be interested to see how it plays out. I think it's a really good idea, though. Yeah, I think he's really early to it. Um, it, it you're right, though. It's backed by a real asset, and it's basically kind of like a crowdfund or a syndication, except it's just faster to transfer ownership. Like, you get it, you buy it right now, and you can put it in your wallet. Right, mm-hmm. and you also have something. Like, a lot of times, if you participate in a crowdfund or something along those lines, you don't really have something. And that was one of the issues that Jay Morrison ran into was people got involved and then they wanted to sell their shares and they couldn't sell their shares because all you got is a piece of paper. Right. Now you that's have a, a crypto really, asset. So you don't go even really have a piece of paper. It's going to go up and down in value. And uh, let's say somebody wants to sell it. Well, somebody like me could buy their shares at a discount or at, what, at a premium, whatever that looks like. Right. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when he said it, because at first I was skeptical, but when he explained it, when he said that, I was like, "Oh, I get it. I definitely get it." Because it's kind of like the same thing. It's no no different mm-hmm. except like you you do it, it is kind of more tangible in a way. Um, the crowd funds with the shares, it can be kind of like hard to really. I mean. It's intangible still. You go, you really just got to wait until the asset goes up and you sell it and get the money that way. But you can't really really show up and say, like, I'm the owner. or You can't really prove it that, that, that easy. Like, you don't really even have a piece of paper that you could pull out of your pocket and show somebody. So I thought it was interesting. Uh, I'm keeping an eye on, on, on this guy to see how it goes. But you had a tweet where you said, everything wealthy people do is calculated. I tweeted that before. Um, but I mean, I've given multiple examples. Country club memberships um, are transferable. You buy and sell them. They have limited available. So you, it's not just available to the open market. What happens if you want a country club membership? You have to buy somebody else's membership, which means that your membership really isn't an expense. It's kind of like just parking your money somewhere else temporarily until somebody else comes along and buys it. Mm. And so, in my opinion, that's calculated because a lot of people say, why would I pay $100,000 to join a country club? Because you're not paying $100,000 to join a country club. You're essentially parking $100,000. What they're probably going to do is invest it. And um, then when you want to leave, you leave. And so I feel like that's calculated. You're not taking $100,000 and giving it away to play golf, firstly. The second is... And I'm kind of I would even say late to the party on this because I I see a lot of people who they are like, yeah, I'm going to sell my house at the top of the market and then buy it back at the bottom of the market. And I was like, I never really thought to do that. Now, I think the reason why I never thought to do that is because what happens if you can't buy something back? Now we're talking about something that's kind of unpredictable. So I don't know if that's necessarily the hack, but I have seen people who bought a fixer upper sold at the top of the market and then bought another fixer upper. Now that makes sense. But if you're buying it retail and then selling it retail, like my neighbors across the way here, they paid maybe like a half million dollars for their house. Now they're trying to sell it for six sixty. Now it's like, well, what are you going to buy? Cause everything is kind of priced high. Right. So ideally if you time it right, you can always circle back and, and buy something at a discount. I just don't really believe in playing with your house like that. Um, I've seen people who have done things with their home 
and now they got to go live in an apartment or now they got to start all over again after they live in an apartment. So through my experience, we might play around with homes we don't live in, but I can't play around with the home that I live in. But I think even that is a calculated decision. Sometimes inaction is actually strategic, strategic inaction, where you're saying, you know what, I'm going to just pause and wait to see what happens, as opposed to anticipating what I think is going to happen, because there's a lot of speculation, there's a lot of people talking, and a lot of those people's projections are incorrect. They've been claiming recession, recession, recession for so long, and I don't think that an American economy has missed a beat. The stock market is down. But I think that's due to interest rates, not due to a, re- a recession. The Fed's pushing the stock market down because there's some jerks, but it's not a recession <laughs> pushing the stock market down because companies are continuing to take mo- to make money. People are continuing to spend money. But a, pre- a recession was projected. And you have people on the Internet standing on top of a hill projecting that. And I don't believe that all of them are truly informed enough to be making those those projections, in my opinion. So I would just say that. um Everything. It's not just the obvious stuff, not just the business stuff. Everything. Who you marry, who your kids marry, where they go to school, what kind of car you drive, where you vacation, how you vacation. Everything has to be an intelligent decision, not just the money making ones. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. And when you're talking about people projecting uh, shouting from the top of the hill, you also said successful people don't just accept what any and everybody has to say. Yeah, um, it's funny. That is an old tweet, but that's because I hype fury like 100% because I know I'd, I'd put it in my queue. And it kind of speaks to that. It's like, and sometimes it's difficult because when we were going through like that 2020, 2021 era, well, what would happen is somebody like a Mark Monroe would come online and then everyone around him would be like, oh, Mark Monroe's this, he's that, he's the truth, he's this, he's that. So start listening to them. But generally, I don't listen to a lot of people because I feel like I have a lot of faith in my own decisions and my own analysis. And I think that's the best kind of decision that you can make is on your own decision and analysis. And so I say that for a few reasons, but one of the reasons why I say it is because you're going to have people that are going to try to like speak into your plans or like talk down on your plans or tell you what you can't do or what's not possible or tell you what's going to be hard or whatever kind of opinions they might have. It's your responsibility to determine what makes sense for you and act on that because they're not you. They're giving you advice based off of them. They're giving you advice based off of their experience. They're giving you advice based off of their limitations. So for you to allow them to put their limits on you, is a mistake. And I don't think a lot of wealthy people are just taking that. I didn't get a brother today who went pro. Um, it was international. But before he decided to go pro, he asked his coaches, his current uh, basketball coaches, if they thought he could go. They said, mm-hmm. no, nah, <laughs> he took that as an actual reason to grind harder, to work harder and to invest in himself. And he made it pro played six years internationally mm-hmm. because the only real person that you need to agree with what you think about yourself is you. That's it. But unfortunately, we live in a world where people are constantly comparing themselves to you. And so they're never really going to give you advice or feedback that's going to elevate you over them. And so if you go out there expecting that, you're going to be disappointed every single time, every single time. You just got to believe it for yourself. You got to know it's true and you got to accept it and act on it because they're just 
you're going to be frustrated if you're trying to get it anywhere else but you. Yeah, I hear that, man. And you said that if you have a strategy that works for you, it doesn't matter if people hate it. The shit works, man. Right. Right. But people get so caught up in other people's opinions. And people, when you get a vision, like nobody knows what you know, man. When you got the vision, nobody was, nobody else was around to see it but you. Like nobody can see it like you can. Even if, even if they do believe in you, they can't see the vision like you can. So you gotta really think about it. Why would they believe it? They didn't see it. They didn't get it. They didn't catch it. Like so, don't even worry about it. And why are you asking anyway? There's only two. If there's two answers, yes or no, like, and there's only one answer you want, so why are you asking? So just move on. Yo, it's the Options Trading Workshop, presented by Tide Capital. Learn the fundamentals and advanced trading strategies that allow us the chance to earn $20,000 in side money in one year while working a job and running multiple businesses. That's right. Learn the what, the where, and the how of options trading in this exclusive webinar. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. Now, you on the um, golf course with Daniel, you said you got to sow the seeds. I forget what this one was about. but Yeah, we were talking about how I want to say he was talking to his brother or something, and his brother was saying like, oh, yeah, you have it so good now. You're good. And Daniel was telling him, like, it took me four years to get to this point. He's like, it took me four years. This is just year five that you're starting to see the success. And people act like it's overnight and like you weren't grinding for four years trying to get to that point. And I told him, I was like, I kind of was the same way. It took me like four years before I really got a chance to really hit it. And um, we were talking about how you got to set that foundation because the foundation is everything. The foundation it, it teaches you to appreciate when you do achieve it. It teaches you to cherish what you achieve after you achieve it. And it teaches you to protect what you've achieved after you've achieved it. Because if it comes fast and easy, you're going to blow it fast and easy. But if it took you a long time, you tend to want to not let it go because you know what it was like to not have it. You know what it was like to have that uncertainty. You know what it was like to have that fear, that worry. And we we're just talking about how, like, in those early years, you're really just sowing the seeds for your success. So you're doing the free stuff. You're adding value. You are selling things for lower cost because you're making an investment. But a lot of people don't want to sow seeds. And so the reason why I say sowing seeds is because, you know, if you go outside to the ground and you put nothing into the ground, you will reap nothing. Mm. Guaranteed. But if for some reason in business, people think that you just get to go show up in business and make a bunch of money. No, you got to put the seeds out there. You got to get those relationships. You got to add value. You got to give. You got to share. You got to help. You got to educate people. And by doing that, you create that brand footprint. You create that brand awareness. You create that brand connection. And then once you've done that, now you get to harvest. Now you get to start taking some chips off the table. But until then, if you have no chips that you've actually put out there, you'll get nothing back. You can't get a return on investment on nothing that you've invested. Right. Return on nothing is nothing. For sure. Like, 
if you're making an investment, there's a chance you're going to lose. But if you don't do, put anything in, there's a definitely a chance. You're definitely guaranteed to lose. And like you said, L's create wins. So even when you um, lose, you win. I forgot why I said that, but I feel like I, I really had a thought for why I said that. And I can't think of the most immediate example or the reason why I said that. But I just I realized that a lot of times in life, oh, that's why it was because the Chargers. So the Chargers <laughs> got blown out yesterday. 38 to 10 at home. Granted, usually when that mm. happens, it's usually by a team that's actually very good. And I think the Jaguars are actually looking very good right now. They've made a lot of good moves. Plus, they have a they have the number one drafted quarterback. Like it's really difficult to lose when you draft a quarterback. That's a national champion. I think that means a lot. We don't talk about that a lot, but I think success at earlier levels creates an expectation of success at other levels. And so if you have a quarterback who went to Alabama where they win, they expect to win and they have a winning mentality. Joe Burrow, winning mentality. That's why he went to the Super Bowl. He has a winning mentality. It's not just talent. It's the winning mentality. Do you expect to win? Like the expectation to win oftentimes drives the win because you're gonna you're selling for nothing less. But if you just hope you're gonna win, and that's what the Chargers struggle with. We've never really had a winning franchise. We've always had a franchise that's just kind of like has a lot of talent, doesn't never put put it together. Made the Super Bowl once, but like there's teams in the NFL that expect to win, and when they don't win, everybody's making fun of them. Versus franchises mm-hmm. where they expect you to lose. And if you think you're going to win, they're like, nah, what are you talking about? You're a Charger fan. Chargers suck. But the Cowboys expect to win. The Steelers right. expect to win. Right. They have winning franchises where winning is the expectation. And so when you have these quarterbacks who come from Alabama, who come from LSU, who come from Clemson, who come from these SEC te- teams, they tend to kind of expect that. So the reason why I put that up there is because the Chargers, we lost to the Chiefs two weeks ago. And it was a hard-fought loss. Like, pick six in the goal line, really should have won that game. And so I think we were looking at Jacksonville as they were just some pansies. Like, we're just going to walk over them. We just expected to win, but it was a different kind of expecting to win. It was an expect to win, but not because we're great. It was because they suck, or they used to suck. (laughs) Watching that game got our heads chopped off. And so I'm thinking that the frustration that they feel in this moment and the embarrassment that they feel in this moment it's probably going to push them to develop that winning attitude where they're going out there and they're accepting nothing less than a win. They're fighting every play. They're more physical. I think that the chargers kind of settle a little bit because we have so much talent. And so their mindset is like, Oh, well I'm injured. Somebody else will pick up the slack. We have so much talent. We still got Khalil Mack out there. It's cool. If I'm injured, no real ballers play through injury, real football players play through injury. Injury is a part of the game. And I see a lot of people when you have a culture where winning is just like a maybe they get injured and they're like, oh, well, I'm going to just sit out. It happens all the time with the Chargers. But we need to take this L, this heavy, heavy, embarrassing L all over the newspaper, all over the channels. And we need to start winning games. And I think that we might this might be a breaking point for us where maybe Justin Herbert develops that dog. Maybe other players develop that dog. And we really go out there and we get that win. So the L, that heavy L, 
creates the win. I started looking at things in my life where it felt like a loss and I went on top of it. And I'm realizing like light, nothing really matters what happens to you in life. All that happens is how you react to it. Are you going to use it as a reason to win? Are you, are you going to use it as a reason to wallow and just sit there and do nothing? It doesn't matter what happens to you. Yeah, man. Turning point in your life. What are you going to do with it? But that's something interesting you said about uh, rookies that come in from, from a winning atmosphere. I guess that's, that's why a lot of times some of these rookies can make such a big impact on a team because they come in expected to win. Like Even Michael Jordan, never been a fan, but Michael Jordan came from a winning program that was winning before he got there. So he was just a part of the. He was just a part of the team. Even when he, after his freshman year, everybody else when he left, and he was the star on the team. Still only averaged like twenty points a game max. He was the star, but it didn't just feed him the ball. He was a part of a system. He was just a great, a very good player. So by the time he got to the Bulls as a rookie, is like, I expect to win here too, and he made a difference in the franchise. And you see that you you see that somebody like um, David Robinson, he his team did it basketball wise. He didn't win a lot of games, but he came from the Navy. They don't generally they don't accept losses like that, right? He came in and they went from like twenty games went into like fifty as a rookie. So I guess it does it does make a difference. Winning, winning is a mindset. Um, my, my nephew plays football and my nephew, his mom and his dad aren't together anymore. So he's in football, but he's just kind of there. I don't see the focus. I don't see the, I don't see the, I don't see the it, but there's another kid. I went to one of the practice and this kid is on it. He listens. He follows instructions. He does what the coaches ask the first time. And if he asks, if he tells him to do it over and over again, he's doing it over and over again. And when I was at practice, I noticed his dad was sitting right there, right there. Just he didn't say nothing. He didn't say anything. He just watched. He didn't say nothing. He wasn't like saying, hey, do this. Hey, do that. He was just sitting there watching. Went to the game and that same kid was a superstar on the team. Meanwhile, all the other kids just running around in circles. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> but I realized that like. A lot of what kids need is the instruction outside of practice. They need their dad coaching them at home. And my nephew doesn't get that, unfortunately. He doesn't because my sister can't do it. And quite honestly, that's a metaphor for life, too, because a lot of young boys out there who were lost because the person who's supposed to be teaching them structure and order and focus. And it, 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 it shows in other places, not just on the football field. The football is just just the most obvious example of it. And so my niece, on the other hand, she cheerleads, cheer captain. She's super killing it, moves super sharp, knows all the dances. All the girls look to her. Why? Because my sister's a cheer coach and my sister cheered her whole life. So the only difference is the lack of guidance. And so I share that story because it's just talking about how some of it is mindset, but some of it is also just like the instruction that you get at home. And the education that you get at home and, you know, different programs, it's like your background matters. 
Yep, 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 yep. But now, you had a tweet where you said the skills you learn fixing rentals and flips can be used to cut out the labor for your family and friends' home improvement projects. Yep, it's kind of crazy. Um, I was like, so what is Charles trying to, uh, to do? <laughs> I was like, what so is Charles planning to do now? I went out to Detroit and um, remember when I put the floors down and then I laid the floors again. But my mom just paid somebody big money to install floors in their house. And I was like, I can install floors and I can save you a ton of money. And so I think we're going to do the upstairs floors ourselves because somebody asked me one time, they said, why do you have so much confidence in yourself when it comes to things like this, mm. instead of like leaning on quote professionals? I was like, cause a lot of times I see these dudes and they just average dudes. They ain't nobody special. They also breathe the same air as me. They're no better than me. So why can't I do what they do? In fact, they probably aren't nearly on my level. So it's like, why can't I lay some floors? Why can't I paint some walls? Why can't I tape and mud some stuff? I can do the same thing too. But last time I was in Detroit, I had to uh, mud, sand and paint the walls. And so I was at my father-in-law's house and he was showing me some different things that he had to do because some of the paint was coming off on his like corners. And he was like, Hey, maybe you could take a look at this and tell me what I need to do. And I was like, Oh, that's a corner beat. I just found out about what a corner beat was like two weeks ago, <laughs> but I found nice. out what a corner beat is. It's where the, where the two drywall pieces meet at a corner. You have to cover it up with what's called a corner bead and then mud it and then paint it. So it's a sharp corner not just like a bud. Cause if you just paint it over the drywall, you're going to see the drywall line where they, where it's not, it's like you two pieces of wood coming together. So anyway, I was like, man, I could do this. I just did this. And so instead of him having to chart, hire somebody and that person go out there and charge him a bunch of money and him in the hall, like we can just get out there ourselves and do it. That's what my neighbors next door do. My, my Mexican neighbors next door, they do it all themselves. The Mexican dudes, who go work these mm. construction jobs and they learn all these construction skills. They either do it for other people on the side or they do it for themselves. Why can't we do the same thing? Nobody's better than us. In fact, black folks used to be doing all this stuff. We used to be building everything. We used to be putting everything together. We just stopped thinking we could do it and started thinking that they had superpowers that we don't have. I don't believe anybody's better than me. I don't believe I'm better than anybody, but I don't believe anybody's better than me. Right. That's the thing. Like when I ever I talk to um on these platforms. Uh, the last thing I like to leave people with is like, I just want bad people to know that we can do it, man. Like we got what it takes. We are all we really need. We are worthy. Big facts. We don't need no outsiders. In fact, other communities would rather do it themselves and it be subpar and then keep the money in their community than to bring outsiders in. They would rather hire their own and their own not be the best than let you in. And they mm -hmm. do it all the time. These all corporations the are staffed with people who aren't better than you. It's just an investment in protecting their community and their interest and their kids' interest. They would rather do it that way and just fill up the gaps and pick up the slack than allow other people to come in so when we go out there and we do things like hiring Jewish folks or bragging about all these other people, we're actually destroying our community because we're letting the money go out of the community. You, I would rather have a black agent who's not the best. Ideally, he would still be the best. He can be the best. We can be the best. 
I'm not saying that blackness is subpar at all, but I'm saying in the event that it is, we still got to work with our own. It's likely going to be better, but even sometimes when it's better, we still be like, nah, even though it's better, I'm going to still go over here. Right. The funny thing is, a lot of times the reason I choose my words carefully here. The reason why a lot of times that black business might not be top notch or world class or whatever you think is because we haven't been doing it that long. And you've talked about this before. We talked about this before on here, but these other companies have been around. Some of these other companies have been around for literally speaking. And our company started like two years ago. Yep. And we're ju- we're judging each other based on the standards created by a company that's been around for literally longer than any of us have been alive. With all their experience, all their documentation, their SOPs, college education, where our people could not even afford to go to college a lot of times, don't have that formal education, don't have the formulas and all the precedents set aside before we came along. And we just muscling through and a lot of times still competing, but we judging our people based on what somebody else built a hundred years ago. And it's like you said, it takes 18 years to become an 18 year old. And we got to remember that folks. Let's give us some slack. Give us some slack. Now, related to what you were talking about, laying the floors and, and doing it yourself, like, the funny thing is, you, you like you had you had a tweet where you said before I do the work, I'm always tired and lazy. But when I'm doing it, and immediately after I get energized, it's like so. Sometimes you you get intimidated, like I don't want to do that. I don't know if I can do that. But when you get started, you get moving, man. It's a whole di- different story. So get moving, people. Get moving. So you. The flip is almost ready, but now you're thinking about not flipping. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. We'll see. It's a numbers. Everything is numbers. Everything is numbers. Right. Um, so if it makes sense financially to sell it, sell it. If it makes sense financially to rent out rooms to students, rent out rooms to students. Ideally, I could rent it to like some travel nurses, some upstanding people, and not some party kids, because that could be worse than ghetto people. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's funny because I was thinking to myself, I was like, profit, no profit, took a long time, didn't take a long time. The fact is I built a house Mm. and I don't know too many people that have done that. I literally took a huge home that was in terrible condition and turned it into a habitable structure. Like that is an accomplishment and it looks good. It looks really nice. I just got the layout for what the cabinets are going to look like with an island. It's going to be a fantastic space. So basically, can't anybody tell me nothing? They can't tell me nothing because I built a house. Built a house. Wait, you said if it doesn't make big bucks, I'm not interested. Um, To a certain extent, I'm looking for another opportunity, but I want it to make sense. I just want it to be worth my time. Um, a lot of things that I've done, it's like, I don't know, I don't know how to really explain it, but like, once you get a certain amount of like time freedom, 
you want the things that you do to matter because your time is really priceless. Um, and so I don't want to spend a bunch of time making little money because little money is not going to make a dent in my life. Mm-hmm. I want to be spending time working on something that's massive because it takes just as much time to do something massive as it does to take to do something that's small. So overlooking small opportunities, small acquisitions, small rental properties. Um, I just saw a deal that came through my through my uh, Instagram. I think it was a seven unit or a 12 mm-hmm. unit, something like that. I was like, I'll entertain a 12 unit. I'm not buying your single family home, though. I'm not because the same stress you go through with regulations and inspections and permits and all that for one unit, you can do it for 12. It's the same building. That's I'd rather crazy. do it for 12. I know I talked about this on an early episode like a long time ago, but it just brought it back to my mind again. I remember seeing somewhere Donald Trump said, I know everybody's not a Donald Trump fan, but that that's not the point. Um, Donald Trump said the reason he doesn't do small real estate deals is because they take too much energy. And he said, believe it or not, the small real estate, a three, four multifamily takes just as much energy as a huge building. He said, it, it might not seem like it makes sense. You think because a small deal is less energy, but he says it's the same thing. So you must, might as well do something big that come with big rewards. And 100%. 100%. But what's funny to me is the way you said um, we have more time freedom. It's funny that you have more time freedom now, but you're more cognizant of how you spend your time, even though you have more time freedom than before to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. It's kind of like, well, I could do what I want, so I could I could waste an hour, uh, a day or two. But he's like, nah. I remember when I had a job and was trying to do this on the side. I know how precious time is. I'm not with it. It's tough to kind of put into words. It is. Yeah, just like I am not with it. Now we saw the um, the ridiculous little baby video for those this oh, yeah. case you didn't see it and you were saying when you have money people find creative ways to rob you you always have to be on guard because everyone's looking for their come up through you and for those of you who didn't see the video apparently little baby was at icebox i guess a jewelry store and his bill came up to 20 or twenty five thousand. and the guy says oh i accidentally rang you up for 225,000." That's the craziest thing ever. And then it was like, oh, I'll give you store credit for like 220 So basically, he's like, we'll just get this money later. <laughs> store credit, you can only use store credit there. <laughs> but the, I think the problem is, what is, it's very easy to just say, that ain't no problem in the moment. It's easy to strike a, a, a few keys and, and take 225000 It's very difficult to make 225000 And that's mm. what people who are robbing you don't understand is it's so much more difficult to make money than it is to spend money. It's easy to spend money. You could just step outside and you spend the money like, oh, gas, oh, food, oh, get something to drink. 
There's yeah. so many more ways to spend money. That's why people are broke. People are broke because there's so many more ways to spend it than it is to earn it. Mm-hmm. There's countless ways to go broke. And so you have to always be on guard because there's, if it's not him, it's somebody else. I'm sure he's at like, that's just one example of different things that occurs in his life. He probably has friends and family doing stuff and saying stuff and saying things and passing and then saying, oh, well, you said you're going to send me this money. You said you're going to do this. You always have to be on guard, unfortunately. Always. And it's going to create a lot of fights, a lot of uncomfortability. A lot of people are going to be mad at you. But it kind of unfortunately comes with the territory, in my opinion. That's why, to a certain extent, it can become lonely at the top. Man, it's crazy. For some reason, you saying that made me think of like, before when I used to work in like a deli, like Jewish restaurant, whatever, and people would come in, they buy something, but they want you to give them like extra for free. And then it's like, it's like, what? And then they would always say, nah, it's okay. it's okay. I used to hate that. What do you mean it's okay? Like, what are you saying? Like, just give me some extra for free. Cause it's okay. Why? Because it's not your money. <laughs> it's not your money. It's just... Oh, it's okay. Now, that's 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 some crazy stuff. It's like I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and somehow Cardi B came up, and they were like, "Oh yeah, I saw she um, donated some money to her um, her high school. Yeah, like a hundred grand." And then he was like, "Yes, but she could have gave like four hundred or five. She could have gave like five hundred grand." I was like, "What? What do you mean?" He said, "Oh, she could afford it." Like, how do you know? Like, first of all, a hundred grand is not like jump change. Who else was a lot of times? A lot, also, a lot of times, what people assume is they assume that that's the only person that she's helping. Mm. So she should max out the help on that. So like she probably is. You don't even know what she got going on, or all the people that are around her asking her. She probably taking care of her mom, taking care of her dad, taking care of everybody, and you over here like, oh, you could have done more. You do more. <laughs> right. You do more. And keep your criticism to yourself. I'm like, I said, you want them people, man? I know you. You tell us, she could have done more. She could have afforded it. Yeah. You don't know how expenses, though. First of all, you don't know how much she really makes. You don't know how expenses. You don't know how many people are already in her pocket. And even if she could afford it, so what? It's some money. She could choose to give them $10. Right. Right. You don't got to get we got to stop this thing where black people are like required to fund underachievers Hmm. who choose to underachieve. Hmm. If you're working and you're grinding and you're hustling, that's dope. But too often people want people who are grinding to come back and take care of people that are lacking, even though they have the same opportunities or at least similar opportunities. And they're not even leveraging what they have. When I was growing up, one of the things that they used to always tell me is like, if you need help, people are going to help you more if you're already helping yourself. If you need money and you're taking all your money to go have fun, nobody's going to help you. But if you need money and you paid all your bills and you need money, now everybody's going to they, be more inclined to help you. And so... I just found that we can, and we don't realize that we're actually kind of ruining things for everybody because if there's somebody out there who achieved something, 
and they have to circle back and still fund underachievers, pretty soon they're going to be broke. We've talked about yeah. this before. The people who make broke people go broke by funding. I mean, rich people go broke by funding broke people. <laughs> Everybody shows up. MC Hammer, he had 50 people in his entourage. He didn't go broke because he was spending all this money. He went broke because they were spending all this money. This you is look true. at Antoine Walker, all these, all these stars, they go broke because everybody has their hand out. Everybody, people you never even knew existed have their hand out. And they show up and they be real nice. People who played you when you needed it show up with their hand out. The begging is no respecter of person. Anybody who wants something is showing up and asking. Not just people who are qualified. In fact, the people who are most qualified to get something from you are probably not asking for anything. That's the funny thing. The people who actually helped you get to that point are just happy that you got there. The people that were never going to help you get to that point, those are the folks trying to take it from you. Which I think speaks to the fact that they know that they're doing you a disservice. They know they're making you go broke and go broker because they never wanted you to have it in the first place. If they did, they would have helped. Mm. If they did, they would have been friends with you before you had it. Because it's, it's a lot of people who when you needed help and you reached out, they didn't got no help. But then when you get somewhere, now they need all the help. Now now we homies. Now I'm sending you DMs. Now I'm hitting you up. Now I'm calling you. It's so funny when people, when people want something from you for nothing, they are relentless with the ask. They will hit you up multiple times, over and over, call you, text you. Same folks who would never even respond to your text or phone call that now they active. Cool. <laughs> Right, right, right. And it's so funny, like, I see sometimes the celebrity talk, celebrities talk about it, even uh, Jay-Z, when he had that interview with Kevin Hart. He's talking about how he, he, you go back to family functions and you get that cousin that corners you and starts asking for money for their idea. And then it's like, yeah, but, like, you got it. And it's kind of like they're not even that emotionally invested in making it work it's like yeah i'll try but if if i lose it all i mean you got it yeah because you didn't have to work for it you didn't have to bleed sweat yeah, it's a lot easier to ask for money than it is to make money asking is easy grinding is hard take us out Raphael. well let's do one more because you said people think business ownership is the easy way out and it's not ah I might need to take a short break before we close it out then. Let me take a break. Man, we could close it out, man. That's that's kind of <laughs> a long one. I mean, that's kind of a long it one. It is. That, that's that's... you're asking a lot from me, man. <laughs> We're going to pick that up next time. So be sure subscribe, folks. Be on all listening platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music. You can find us anywhere. Follow us on Twitter at Tweet Talk Pod. That's P O D. Follow myself on Twitter at Work Money Life. Follow Charles on Twitter at Real Todd Billion. Follow us on Instagram at Tweet Talk Podcast. Follow Charles on Instagram at Real Todd Billion and the parent company at Todd.Capital. Follow us on TikTok at Tweet Talk Pod and at Todd. Dot capital for episode 140 of Tweet Talk the Black Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Raphael, along with Charles Oglesby, JD. We are out of here. Peace.
Yes, this is Donald the Voice, the official podcast editor and producer of the Tweet Talk podcast featuring, of course, Charles Oglesby and the man Raphael Husbands. And look, man, if you just listen to this episode, then you know exactly what I'm capable of. You know my swag. You know what I can do. And so without any further ado, I kind of want to give you a special offer for Tweet Talk podcast episode listeners. And here's what it is. Head on over to DonaldTheVoice.com. And if you have podcasts or video editing needs, let's talk. And of course, I'm giving you a real, real nice deal. But you have to mention that you're a Tweet Talk podcast listener. And this offer isn't going to last forever. So if you're on social media or you have a business or you got something going on to where you need somebody to edit and produce your content, come and holla at your boy. And I promise to take care of you, our dedicated listener to the Tweet Talk podcast. Again, head over to DonaldTheVoice.com and hit the contact page and let's have a little conversation. Okay, back to your day, your evening, your morning, whatever's going on. Peace.